Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Education Revolution Podcast. In this episode, Jerry will tell you how the School Starters course got started, the schools that they've helped start, and walk you through basics of what is in the course. Uh, as a note, you may hear in the background some thunder, as there was a thunderstorm overhead when we were recording this. And you will also hear something that is my fault, and that is my overzealous, furious typing on my keyboard, uh, happily setting up my brand new Raspberry Pi. Uh, for all you nerds, I was installing Ubuntu on it, um, and I'm very happy with it. But, on to the episode, here's Jerry about the School Starters course. Hi, uh, this is Jerry Mintz, and I'm going to talk today a little bit about schools that Arrow helped to start and uh, our online course for people who are starting new alternatives. Uh, but first of all, I'm going to go back to 2003 when we hosted, for the first time in the United States, the uh, International Democratic Education Conference, the IDEC. And this was actually started in Israel in 1993. Uh, and basically, this is when people who have started innovative, democratic, alternative schools and programs come together and share information, and other people find out about how they work. And we had 600 people come to that conference from all over the world. On the way back from that conference, there were a bunch of us who were talking, and people were wondering, well, why are there no democratic schools in New York City? Because at that point, there weren't any. And so we decided to organize some meetings to see if we could create some democratic schools. And we had the meeting at a charter school, Renaissance School in Queens. Around the same time, I got an inquiry from somebody by the name of uh, Alan Berger in, in uh, New York, Brooklyn, who was interested in possibly starting some kind of alternative in the New York area. So I told him about these meetings that we were going to have, and he said he would be, he would like to go and attend them and be involved. So we had those series of meetings, and out of it created two different kinds of democratic alternatives. One was designed to be part of the public school system, and the second one kind of coalesced around Allen and led to an independent alternative school. So what we did in following up on the independent one is we started having some meetings. Now, Alan contacted the Park Slope Food Co-op, which had about 10,000 members, to see if they might be interested in getting involved with an alternative school in Brooklyn. And the people who were interested started coming to, a me to meetings. And these meetings took place in people's apartments. And about every other week, we would have a meeting in someone's apartment, sometimes pretty crowded, and talk about the kind of alternative people wanted to see. 
and people would bring their students with them, and they were sometimes involved with the discussions, but a little too often they'd run off and just play amongst themselves. So at one point, we asked the kids, I said to the people who were at the meeting, you know, there were three six-year-olds there. I said, you know, those students have an opinion about what this school should be like. So we got the three six-year-olds in there, and when they discovered that we knew that they had opinions, they gave us their opinions. And one six-year-old said to us, it's very important that the school not have new furniture and a lot of nice equipment. The problem with that is that then we can't run around and play. Everybody's going to be worried about the nice stuff, and so it shouldn't be there. Well, of course, this was a very terrific insight and probably only could have come from a six-year-old. And so that was something we paid attention to in creating the school. So at first, there was some thought that it might be called Park Slope. And and we were going to say Park Slope Free School. We were kind of resurrecting the idea of a free school, such as there were only two or three of them left that we knew of around the country at that point, there was uh, Albany's Free School, started by Mary Loya, and Grassroots Free School in Florida. So they thought they would call it Park Slope Free School. But after some discussion, people decided that it should be not Park Slope because Park Slope was a kind of elite area of Brooklyn, and it implied that it was a somewhat elite school. And we didn't really want to do that. So we decided to call it Brooklyn Free School. And that's what it remains today, 16 years later. So I remember there were a lot of discussions and meetings. One of the meetings that involved uh, students and parents was, how old should the youngest child be? People were wondering at what age the students should be able to come to the school, and various ages were thrown out. But the youngest child in that particular meeting was a four-year-old. So we brought him into the meeting to see how he could function in this meeting. And we actually had a demonstration of a real democratic meeting going on. And this particular time, the meeting was discussing at what age should children be able to walk to the store by themselves from the school? And so the four-year-old actually got involved in the discussion. And different people were throwing out different ages that children should be able to do that. So maybe six-year-olds, seven-year-olds could go to the store. But the four-year-old said, nah, he thought they should be more like nine or ten years old and only go with two people at a time, because, you know, there's a lot of cars and trucks out there and somebody could get hurt. And as a result of that, we decided that a four-year-old could (laughs) be able to participate in the meetings. Uh, Subsequently, I did demonstrations of organic curriculum, and that was basically just asking kids to come up with any questions that they would like to know the answer to. It could be anything. And so they would brainstorm things that they wanted to find out about, and they did that in this meeting. And it takes a very short time, actually. And then after that, we started discussing the ones that had the most interest. 
So this was the very simple demonstration of organic curriculum. So as I said, we demonstrated democratic process, we demonstrated organic curriculum, but one of the most powerful things that we did was we decided to have a two-day demonstration of what this school would be like. And so in that demonstration, we decided it would be like on a Friday and a Saturday. Friday, they would just take the day off. Saturday, they would come in. And so we had 35 students that actually came in for that demonstration two-day school. We had our meeting. Uh, things were brought up at the meeting. I remember one of the things that was brought up at the meeting in the first day was the question of snowballs. People thought there was a little problem, kids going outside throwing snowballs might be a problem for us or for the school. And so they made a, a rule about it. And it was interesting, the next day there was a follow-up uh, and there was just no problem with the snowballs. So the parents came to the demonstration, which was actually at the Methodist Church in Brooklyn. and. They were in a different room. They, a few of the parents and some potential staff members were part of the, the demonstration, but this, the parents could, could look at it and, uh, and, and be involved in that way, but they got a sense of what this school would look like. And what's interesting is we never thought that the school was actually going to be in that particular church. This was just a place where we got permission to have this two-day demonstration. But I think there was some sort of imprinting that took place. And so what happened is we actually wound up using the school for the school's location uh, starting the next September. And 35 students actually enrolled and were part of the beginning of that school. And uh, the school was very successful. It got to the point where there was actually a waiting list to get into the school. Well, there's a woman that I had heard from in Manhattan who's also interested in trying to start something. We decided to have a meeting with the people who are on the waiting list and see if we could organize a second school in Manhattan with this woman uh, organizing it or and, and this actually led to what became Manhattan Free School. We actually were involved with that school, but not as much. It's interesting that when we were organizing Brooklyn Free School, we almost started as a homeschool resource center, but Alan was able to get a situation in the church having to do with zoning and all that stuff straightened out just in time that we actually were able to open as a school. And so six years later, after operating in the church for six years, the school wound up buying for $1.75 million a very nice five-story brownstone on Clinton Hill. And that is where the school is now after 15 years, 16 years. It's interesting, we started with no money we did some fundraising events during that year. But people who ask, well, don't you need to have a big amount of money to start something like that? Not necessarily. Not if you use your resources well. 
And in that case, we were able to build up enough funding that we were able to buy that building and the school still operates there. Uh, meanwhile, we had started this, the School Starters online course. And that course and other things that we've done has led to over 100 new alternatives started. I remember there was a woman who was involved with the course who was in North Carolina, Charlotte, and she was working with just a couple of families that wanted her to work with their kids. And that's about all she thought she would be doing. But what happened is she got more and more interested in setting up a full school and eventually started what she called Mosaic School and ran that for a while. Then she met uh, someone who came from what used to be Manhattan Free School but had evolved into an Agile Learning Center. And so she decided to have her school become an Agile Learning Center. So it's now Mosaic Agile, Agile Learning Center. She eventually had to go to two locations and, and then has combi combined them. And they continue on in Charlotte, North Carolina. Other people who got involved with our programs, there was a woman from Poland who actually came to two different Aero conferences and got involved with the Aero School Starters course uh, to help start a new alternative. And eventually she went back to Poland and started the Warsaw Free School. And now there are over 50 democratic schools in Poland. So it's very interesting to see how these little seeds that get planted can grow. We have helped people from all different kinds of backgrounds. We, we help people who want to start democratic schools, charter schools, uh, and Sudbury schools, for example. There were some people who have from South Africa that were involved with the course they wanted to start a school that would be inspired by Sudbury Valley. And they have started this school in South Africa, South Africa called Riverstone Village School. So we have helped people start homeschool resource centers. It's one of the best ways to start a new school, actually, where everybody is a homeschooler, because homeschooling is legal in every state and most countries. And that way you don't necessarily have to become a school and worry about sometimes fairly rigid school laws until you get to a certain point, then you can decide if you want to do that. Uh, one example of that is Pono in New York City, uh, started by uh, Mesa Bosna. And she was involved in our school starters course, and she wanted to start an outdoor school in Manhattan, which she did. And that school has continued on for over 10 years. Uh, I don't know the exact number. And it's in Manhattan. And the interesting thing about that school and Brooklyn Free School and many of our other schools is that they all have a sliding scale tuition, which means that the people who can afford it pay the full price or even more and the people who can't afford it pay what they can afford. And you also learn how to do a lot of fundraising. And fundraising is a part of the online course. And how to raise the money 
to keep a school going is very important. But one of the things that we emphasize is a school should not be based on tuition alone. And there are all kinds of ways you can raise uh, funds. Uh, you can do it, for example, with auctions. Uh, you can do it with bingos, for example. Uh, there's no reason why religious schools should have a monopoly on bingos. Uh, mostly any nonprofit could do it. There are lots of ways to raise the funds to keep a school going. And not only that, but those fundraising events are sometimes really important events for the students to be involved with it, for them to realize that they can do something like this. The School Starters course starts with introductions, then it goes to people expressing their visions. The most important part of the course is the peer involvement because that's the key thing, to be doing this with other people who are starting new alternative schools all over the world. We're limited to 25 students. Uh, that's how we do it so there can be very good interaction. And there's a lot of feedback from the things that people post. When you post your vision, you're going to hear from other people what their visions are and what they think of yours and any comments or things that are helpful. We then go on to legal aspects of it, how to recruit students, how to recruit parents, how to have the early organizational meetings, the finances, as we said. And so this year, we really hope it will have a lot of people involved in this year's program. And of course, the newest thing are these pandemic pods, which are really essentially small micro schools, homeschool resource centers. There's always something a little different about them. But we plan to help people start as many of these as we can, because what we are ultimately interested in is the education revolution, which is the name of our website, educationrevolution.org. And in a very real sense, the education revolution has just happened. We went, for example, from three and a half percent of the population homeschooling to 96 percent. Uh, and this was not planned, but what's interesting is now millions and millions of parents in this country and around the world now have a sense of what it's like to be involved with an educational alternative. And at this particular point, we still don't know what the long-term effect of this is going to be, but it will certainly be profound it is certainly affecting everything that we do in our culture, and it's very closely related to the other revolution that has to do with work, with so many people now working from home and realizing, well, if they're working from home, they could also homeschool. So uh, if you're interested in uh, starting a new alternative, you should contact Arrow. Uh, go to our website, uh, educationrevolution.org, Go to uh, School Finder, and then you drop down to start a new alternative, and you'll get an, a sense of what we do, how that course works. And then you can contact us. Uh, best way to do it is to write to me at Jerry Arrow, J-E-R-R-Y-A-E-R-O, at AOL.com. And this course actually starts the 21st of September. So maybe we'll see you there. 